So the trickier and tougher the opponents, the more likely I am to just fold to a three bet. So I think we're in a pretty good spot to call and see a flop. And my typical action is going to be to fold this ace queen. Standard play here would probably be to fold. Typical course of action here, uh, I think, is very player dependent. You could make a case, you know, to to fold or call a fold, probably about two thirds of the time, and a three, but maybe about a third of the time. Just fold and sidestep this tough situation. My uh, typical response here would be to probably just call the re-raise. I'd probably fold here, but if the raise is smaller, I'd be tempted to call it. Greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. Now, today, in addition to our recreational contributors, which we have several, myself, along with Taylor Moss, Doug Barron, Stacey Nelson, Derek Smith, Steve Olson, and Rob Washam, we also have input from three of our professional partners, Chris Fox-Wallace, who is an author and also the uh, the leader of Next Level Poker, which is our official poker tour. Jonathan Little, author, great player, uh, also leads PokerCoaching.com. And Mike Schneider, who is a Minnesota Poker Hall of Famer and leads the Poker is Fun Tour. All right, as always, quick announcements. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a comment, tell other folks about it, get as many people listening as we can. Uh, super fun as we continue to grow our numbers. Also, we welcome all feedback, topic suggestions, hand situations. Reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or email me, stevefredland at gmail.com. All right, today's our third and final episode in this series where we look at specific situations, really trying to give insight into how different players view these decisions, but then also start asking questions about what would change to make you change your actions. And the idea really is to start to understand the key factors in the decisions, kind of the the underwriting principles of the decision. So we start looking at factors that start competing and say which ones outweigh others. And I think that gives us good insight into this. So even if you disagree with somebody's course of action, think about how they're thinking about the hand. I think that's super important to understand your opponents, but also to understand are there different ways to view that decision. And so that's what I love about this is we're getting different answers, even among the professional players, and I think it's helpful to understand the undergirding principles that each one of those folks are carrying with them. So uh, take your time through this, listen to it carefully, uh, wrestle with it a bit, and then uh, love to hear what you're learning uh, from this. So with that setup, let's just take a quick break here. We want to thank Running Aces, who's been a great sponsor of ours, and then we'll be back with the situation. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Here's the situation for this week. Similar assumptions to the last couple of weeks, but a different hand scenario. We're assuming it's a 10-person table, we're in the early stages of the tournament, the blinds are 300-600 with a 100 ante. Everyone has 30,000 in chips, or about 50 big blinds. Every player is a standard tight aggressive player. Now in this case, we are under the gun. So we are first to act right after the big blind, and we have ace-queen suited. We decide to raise to 1,500, which is about two and a half times the big blind. Now the player two to our left, the under the gun plus two player, 
calls are 1500. It folds around to the button who then raises to 5300. Both blinds fold and it's back on us. So the questions I posed are what is your typical course of action under the base assumptions and then a number of questions about if everything else is held equal, how would the changes in stack sizes or the player types or other things potentially change our action? This is actually one of the trickiest for me because when the action is first on me, I could definitely see raising or folding. And in some of the tournaments that I play at running aces, I could even see limping, although I normally hate to do that. If it limps around, for example, say we limp and it limps around and we see it seven-handed, I basically am just playing it for the nut straight draws and the nut flush draws, and I'm sort of surrendering the equity and the rank of the cards unless it absolutely crushes the flop. Now in the event that someone raises over the limpers, then I can easily call and see a flop for the same price as if I had raised and someone called, or I could potentially even four bet them, um, uh, or three bet them um, as a way of stealing the steal. Uh, however, I'd still rarely open limbs, so I'm left with basically folding or raising. Uh, I've come to the, really appreciate the findings that are in Chris Fox Wallace's book called No Limits that he wrote with Adam Stemple. Now, their research found that in cash games, the only profitable under-the-gun opens are pocket sevens or better. Uh, I think it was sevens. It could have been eights, but sevens or eights are better, and then ace-king suited or unsuited, and ace-queen suited. So this ace-queen suited hand is at the bottom of the opening range, meaning it's only modestly profitable. This doesn't mean the hand isn't good. I mean, ace-queen suited is a good hand, but its value is severely diminished when you combine hand strength with other factors, such as the probability of someone else waking up with a bigger hand, because we still have nine players left to act, and also position where it's much easier to lose big and win small. When I have ace-queen and I win a pot out of position, either stealing blinds or through the course of the action, it tends to be a small pot. But when ace-queen suited loses a pot out of position, it tends to be a large pot. So this is purely hypothetical, but assume when ace-queen suited out of position wins a pot, it's a net profit of about five big blinds, and when ace-queen suited loses a pot out of position, it's a net loss of about 20 big blinds. Again, this is just hypothetical, but if that was the case, it means that you would need to win four times as much when you're out of position as when you lose, just to break even. So hopefully you see the point, even though it's a hypothetical example. If you're in a situation where you're either gonna win small or lose big, you've gotta, the, the probability that you win have to be severely uh, in your favor, just to even break even or to make a modest profit. Now generally, I'm going to do what I did here in the example, and that is to raise, but I will be wary. So let's get to the actual question. When the under the gun two calls and the button raises, I'm put to a decision. I'm generally going to call a button three bet here because I think it's just too much equity in the hand. This is a situation where I tend to think people play like me. I consider myself a tag, but who knows? I would be extremely tempted to three bet here on the button with a range that might include pocket eights are better, ace king, ace queen, and maybe even mixing in some strong suited connectors like king queen, queen jack, jack 10. Part of this is because although I respect the under the gun raise, I think good strong players have more in their range than just the top few hands. So if they are balancing their under the gun range with some more speculative hands, my three bet from the button should work here a decent amount. Also, it's a good squeeze spot with likely some dead money in there with the under the gun plus two just calling. So unless they are trapping from that spot, they will likely fold to my three bet on the button. 
So if I'm the under the gun player and I'm trying to think like the button, I now think the button has a range of pocket eights or better, ace king, ace queen, and some strong suited connectors. So I like my ace queen suited better against this than someone who is really just a nitty tight player. So I would consider four betting here on occasion, but usually I would just call against this raise and then see what the under the gun plus two player does and what the flop brings. I'm probably going to continue. I'll probably check call on a flop that contains an ace, a queen, or something like jack 10-7, where I have two overs and a draw to the nuts. On a flop that gives me the nut flush draw, I'm very likely to check raise or maybe even check shove. If I don't connect with ace queen or some sort of a good draw, I will likely just fold to aggression on the flop. If I continue on the flop with a check call, I'll see what happens on the turn. If my opponent continues on the turn and I don't improve, then I likely fold. If the turn goes check-check, it's likely that I'll take a shot on the river depending on what comes. If I end up with showdown value like an ace or a queen in the river, then I would just likely check call on the river. Uh, but if it's, a, if it's sort of a blank and I think my opponent's weak, I may take a shot in the river to steal the pot. So thinking ahead like this helps me not to overplay my ace-queen. In many people's minds, just calling the preflop 3-bet actually underrepresents my hand. While great players will see ace-queen as likely the bottom of my range, a lot of recreational players won't, be, won't be able to believe that I didn't go all in pre-flop with ace-queen suited, and they're certainly never going to believe I didn't bet when I hit an ace or a queen on the flop. So in summary, I would generally call the three-bet pre-flop and then assess from there. Now considering how stack sizes would impact my decisions, I'm probably not really impacted by the button stack size unless they are re-raising me with a short stack. If they shove with 15 big blinds or less, I probably would call, assuming that I'm still at 50 big blinds. If they raise but do not shove, and it represents over a third of their stack, I'm going to give good players credit for having a really big hand here, because why wouldn't they shove? It would be easier for me to actually find a fold here in that situation. Also, if the under the gun plus two player called my preflop raise, and they were short stacked, say like they had 10 big blinds or less, I would wonder why they didn't shove. There's a material chance there that they are trapping. So instead of just fearing the button three bet, I do have more fear in the under the gun plus two player. And that would probably increase the chance I would fold to a button three bet. Now in terms of player types, if the button was a very liberal three better, playing a lot of hands, applying a lot of pressure, loving the squeeze play, I would assume their range to be quite a bit wider and although they could have a monster hand here, of course, there's a greater likelihood that I could four bet, raise or shove, and either get them to fold or get it all in with what could very well be the best hand or racing against a middle pair. And if it's not the best hand, I think I have a fair amount of equity against everything but ace-ace. Remember that ace-ace only has three combinations now because I have an ace blocker. So there's only three combinations of pocket aces left, um, because uh, I blocked three of the other combinations. So um, if they do have a big pair, kings, something like that, I still have an over and I still have a fair amount of equity. Now if the button player is extremely tight and hasn't three bet all day, it would almost be a snap fold for me in this spot. Now considering the under the gun plus two player, nothing would change for me unless I know them to be an extremely tough and deceptive player. If I call the button raise, do I think there's a reasonable chance that they will try to four bet re-steal the button with either a monster or just smelling an opportunity now that I've shown a bit of weakness by not 4-betting. 
I would then be put in a tough spot with my ace-queen suited, knowing that I could very well have the best hand because of this being an opportunistic play by them, but all of a sudden I'm putting my entire stack in the middle, more than 80 big blinds, with ace-queen. Not ideal. So, the trickier and tougher the opponents, the more likely I am to just fold to a 3-bet. If the players are weaker and more straightforward, I'm more prone to just call, trusting they will help me range their hands and giving me more opportunities to outplay them or get them to make mistakes. So those are my thoughts. Uh, let's hear from our other recreational players, Rob, Doug, Stacy, Taylor, Steve O, and Derek. Okay, this is Rob Washam responding to uh, the Rec Poker January 27th hand situation. Um, everybody knows already it's 10 person table, 30,000 each, blah, 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 blah. Here we are. We're under the gun with ace queen suited. And we raised to 1,500. The under the gun plus two player calls. <clears throat> then the button wakes up and raises to 5,300. Both blinds fold, and now what do we do? Very interesting spot, I think. Um, a difficult spot. The button is in a typical steel spot, which means he could have a range uh, much wider than normal. I believe my hand is too good to fold, so I wouldn't want a four bet to reopen the betting. One of the gun plus two is not likely to four bet, so I think we're in a pretty good spot to call and see a flop. I would check all flops to see what the button does from that point on. Now, holding all else equal, how would the stack size of the under the gun plus two caller have to change for us to change our action? Well, if the under the gun plus two had a shovable stack, I would be more inclined to fold and wait for a better spot. I would hate to call the three bet only to have to fold to a four bet. It's not going to be very profitable to go three ways to a flop out of position in a four bet pot. All right, holding all else equal, how would the stack size of the button re-raiser have to change for us to change our action? If the button is short, I wouldn't expect him to make this play without a monster or at least a hand he would call a jam with. In this case, I would again have to fold and wait for a better spot. Being out of position limits our ability to play this hand profitably. So... Holding all else equal, how would our stack size have to change for us to change our action? I guess if my stack size is larger, I wouldn't do a thing different. If I had less than 20 big blinds, this would be a good spot to four bet jam. We'd have a ton of fold equity over the under the gun plus two player, and the button would have to have a monster to call. And what we said earlier is that his, his range could be much wider than that, based on the fact that he was in a steel spot to begin with. So I think that'd be a good spot um, with a, about a 20 big blind stack to just go ahead and jam, get it in, use our fold equity, and uh, go from there. Um, all right, holding all else equal, how would the player type of the under the gun plus two caller have to change for us to change our action? I think uh, the under the gun plus two player type is not a concern based on how the hand has progressed to the so far. I guess a maniac or a leg or even a knit with a monster would have three bet to begin with. Any one of these player types are more than likely going to fold to a three bet or at worst call. 
So I would expect the under the gun plus two player to play it pretty close to the vest at this time based on what he based on the fact that he just called my original raise. Um, so holding all else equal, how would the player type of the button re-raiser have to change for us to change our action? The only player type that would give me pause would be the knit. A knit does not usually make a three bet without a very strong hand. We could probably comfortably fold our hand to a three bet by a knit rather than uh, try to outflop and try to play the hand out of position. Um, the only other player type the button might change my response would be if I know the button is really, really loose and aggressive, um, almost guaranteeing that his his range is, includes all kinds of um, hands that we would be way ahead of, that might give me, you know, that might, that might, I'm going to say based on how I've played against him so far and what I've seen him do, it might prompt me to actually four bet here if we had some sort of uh, loose, aggressive maniac in the, uh, in the button position. I could very well four bet to try to isolate him with a better than usual hand or a better than normal hand a better, much better hand than what his range would be at that time. Um, but that would be the only other player that that's the only player types that I would change my, um, my action with in this hand. So all in all, um, I think it's a pretty interesting spot. Again, my hand is too good. I hate to have to fold it. So I'm going to play, I'm going to play to try to see the flop without getting too uh, crazy on this. And that's my take. Thanks for listening. This is Doug Behrens uh, responding to the January 27th hand, uh, which just seems to be out there to mess with our heads because Fox has clearly told us that ace-queen under the gun isn't profitable for the last year. But I'm a rec player. I think ace-queen is profitable. Clearly, it's almost as good as pocket aces or anything else. And uh, so I'm normally willing to put some chips in. So I would have uh, raised under the gun just like this. That would be my typical action. Now, we got a caller, and we got a re-raise from the button. Um, I'm, I'm My typical action is going to be to fold this ace-queen. Uh, with great duress, unless those guys are real loose aggressive and the table's been betting big as, as sort of a history on light hands, uh, which isn't normally true on the tables I play on. Um, so then as we go into this, how would stack sizes of the collar uh, or the button uh, change my behavior here? I'm, I'm always sensitive to stack sizes behind me or in front of me and everybody at the table. And um, if anybody's small and are going to jam and their action behind me on my entry bet here, I'm going to just fold. Um, I don't want all my chips out there with an ace-queen early in the tournament. Um, you know, if the button has a real big stack and has, you know, just been getting lucky a lot or something like that, and he's not necessarily a loose, aggressive player or something, uh, you know, it makes me want to come in the thinking the ace queen is ahead of something, um, but uh, that you know, probably not. 
you know, I'm, I'm probably folding here almost all the time. Um, so all else being equal, what would have to change to get me in there is sort of the way this comes. And if the button's a loose, aggressive, you know, maniac-type player, uh, I'm, I'm probably calling. Uh, it's, a stubborn vein comes in there, and I get tired of folding all of my hands, and, and I tend to put chips in bad sometimes uh, because of that. Uh, the undergun plus two is the the danger here. So, you know, if I call, he's getting priced in pretty good to come in, and we're going to assume he has a pretty good hand. He wouldn't have thought I had nothing. Um, so, you know, I, I think I'm 60-40 on uh, folding almost all conditions here, and I will wait to listen to what everybody else has to say. Giving some background information on myself might be helpful. I'm a fairly new uh, player, um, five to seven years into playing poker, so I don't have a ton of experience. Not that I'm brand new, but um, I feel I know some, where some of my strengths are and some of my weaknesses, and I'm not um, the most experienced player out there, so I'm not necessarily always out to outplay people post-flop, as I've heard other players are um, like like Fox, and I've heard other people as well. They they love getting into pots even without the best hand to outplay them. That's not my strength. I believe my strength more lies with being patient and waiting for good situations where I can either be in charge of the hand um, or definitely be in position. So with that said, having ace queen under the gun and then being re-raised um, doesn't play into my strengths. And so my standard um, standard play here would probably be to fold. Not that I want that always to be that way, but with my skill level right now, that would probably be my smartest move. And looking at some of the factors that might change that, um, I guess I would look at the the players um, that are at the table. And if they're all standard aggressive, um, tight aggressive, I would put myself in that range. And so I'm thinking kind of what would I uh, be playing in this in this range if I'm doing the re-raising? And I'm gonna give him credit for um, ace-jack, maybe down to ace-10 on up and nines on up. Now, some of you might vary and I'd like to kind of hear what people are thinking on his hand range and being willing to do that. And that's because he's on the button. Um, but I'm thinking I can give him credit for those, but the chances are he's probably playing the higher end of those would be my guess, at least at the tables that I've been playing at. Um, I don't see people making this move much, especially early in a tournament there with um, with much less than um, an ace-queen. And so maybe maybe an ace-jack, but I'm thinking I'm either tied or behind a good share of the hands that um, this person um, would be would be making this move with, um, which turns it around and uh, it's a, maybe another podcast of looking and saying um, how, how do we look for spots like this where he puts pressure on on me because I'm looking with ace queen and I, I, I probably need to fold. Uh, I'm curious to see what other people would say, but would other um, people fold less than that? Uh, if I have definitely anything less than ace queen, it's a much easier fold. All right, back to the um, the hand itself. I'm I'm looking at the 
actions that or the situations that would change my action. And I really don't think stack sizes of anybody would change my action until it gets down to, for me, where I feel I, I need to go all in. And even that, they're putting in um, 5,300 is what, almost nine, around nine um, bigs. So, um, boy, to go over the top of that, I'd be putting in 20 bigs, and that's uh, that's a third of my stack. I'm almost ready to go all in there, and I guess I don't I don't want to do that. It's too uh, not the situation I want to look for. So um, stack sizes, I, I don't see that it would change my action. Again, I'm hoping to get some insight from you guys on that. What might change my action though is the player himself, the re-raiser. Not necessarily the undergun uh, plus two guy, um, but the the actions of the the player that raised me. If he was a loose aggressive player, I mean, might more might be more willing to uh, come over the top or even shove and be aggressive back here. Uh, <clears throat> but otherwise, I'm probably going to stick to my same um, same my same action. A couple of thoughts I have on this are um, sayings that come to my head are you you can't win a tournament early in the early rounds, but you can lose one. And this looks like a situation for me um, where I could be setting myself up to lose. And another situation, like I said uh, earlier, I was playing into my strengths. It, it just doesn't play into my strengths. So I would probably fold this here. Looking to this podcast to build str- uh, enough strength into where I could play a hand like this. And I'd like to hear what other people have to say about how you'd play this post-flop if you were going to either call or re-raise what you're looking for, what you would do. I'm really curious as to how people would play this out. Anyway, uh, thanks for all the views who put time into uh, these podcasts and breaking down hands. I really find them very, very helpful for my game. And that's it. So I'll sign off here and listen to what you guys have to say. We'll see you at the felt. Greetings, Rec Poker listeners. This is Taylor Moss. This is part three of our discussions of pre-flop decisions where the action is very theoretical. So in this situation, we are at a 10-person table. Uh, blinds are 300, 600. Everyone has 50 big blinds. And all players at our table are standard, tight, aggressive players. So we are under the gun and decide to raise ace-queen suited to two and a half big blinds or 1,500 in chips, which is a very standard raise and the under the gun plus two player calls, and the button raises it to 5,300 or three bets it. Both blinds fold and it's back on us. So this is a very fun question to be discussing. So we had the under the gun action and raised, which should show strength. We have the under the gun player, under the gun plus two player calling, and the button decides to three bet us. The button makes it a very standard three betting size, uh, which kind of puts us in a weird spot of, do we want to commit a sixth of our stack, calling it off pre, and do we want to raise, or do we want to fold, not knowing what this under the gun player, under the gun plus two player is going to do. So in a typical typical course of action here, um, I think is very player dependent. Um, So a lot of my decisions here are going to come based off of how the table has been playing prior to this. Now we don't know any of that information, so I'm going to make some inferences and say that the button 
has made a three bet before this and it's not the first time making a three bet um and given that i'm going to call with ace queen suited knowing that the under the gun plus two player is also likely going to call because as soon as we put in the extra chips it makes it that much more likely that the under the gun plus two player is also going to so we're very likely headed to a three-way flop here holding ace queen suited which i think has a lot of uh, equity post-flop. So the things that would change this uh, would be stack sizes. So if the button raiser has a bigger stack size, I'm more likely to call. Uh, if they have a lower stack size, it makes it more likely that they're trying to get money in with a very premium hand, and I might consider folding. What I mean by that is if they have, say, half of what everyone else does, or 15,000, and they're putting in a third of their stack, uh, it seems kind of fishy to me that they should probably be putting in all their stack and not putting in a third because they're probably not going to be folding after the flop. <clears throat> so that would be one of the red flags. And like I said before, with the three betting, if this player if we've seen multiple orbits and this player has never three bet, uh, that also is a red flag to me that they finally have a premium hand. And even though we have ace and queen blockers, uh, we could very likely be up against, you know, queens plus from this button raise. And we are going to be having a very tough time catching up on the flop. <clears throat> uh, the other thing would be player type, and it goes back to the three betting likelihood if they're all standard tight aggressive players they're going to be three betting some portion of their range here um, which makes me want to call but if they are very tight players and they're not three betting much like I just mentioned it's going to be something where I'm looking to actually fold here instead of call uh, ace queen suited isn't that great of a hand although it is a very nice looking hand um, so this is probably the toughest decision that we've had in our three-week series when we raise under the gun and get three bet. Uh, but I think the typical course of action here should be to call the initial raise and go to a three-way flop, but not get too attached to our hand. Um, but folding or even raising isn't out of the question. So until next week, this is Taylor Moss. Hey gang, it's uh, Steve-O here. Today we are talking about hand scenario where we're, we've raised with ace-queen suited under the gun. We have one caller, uh, two positions to our left, and then the button re-raises. So for this scenario, we are going to assume that uh, everybody has about 50 big blinds to start. The blinds are 300, 600 with 100 ante. We've raised under the gun to 1,500. Um, every, uh, uh, we get a collar under the gun plus two, and uh, once again, the button raises to 5,300. So uh, now it's our action. You know, A, tight aggressive. I think you could, with a tight aggressive raiser on the button, you could make a case, you know, to, to fold or call. I certainly would never... You know, putting in a fourth bet with with a hand like that, um, it's just too easily dominated. 
Uh, if you're really tight and you want to fold that hand, I think you're, you know, you could make a case. You know, most tight aggressive players are not going to put in a third bet unless they're holding jacks, queens, kings, aces, ace, king. You know, maybe they have the same hand, but I doubt that there would be any weaker than that. Uh, we've got enough big blinds. <clears throat> we probably could take a flop. It's for about a sixth of our chips. Uh, you know, the problem with it is, is you're going to be playing a big pot. You're going to be playing it out of position to two players. Um, and so I would, you know, I would proceed carefully at that point. Um, you know, and I, I always like to think too, you know, what is my goal going into a hand, um, with my holding and, and where I'm playing it? You know, I don't know that my goal is really to flop an ace in this situation or a queen. You know, you could really have yourself in big trouble, and end up dumping a lot of your chips. Obviously, we want to make a flush. We want to flop two queens. We want to flop an ace and a queen. Uh, uh, that said, so uh, anyway, so we're going to assume in this situation, we're going to call, we're going to see the flop, make a decision from there. Um, like I say, it's I'm, I would definitely play it carefully uh, to, and try and stay out of you know real trouble. Uh, in scenario two, the stack size of the under-the-gun uh, plus two player changes. You know, if his stack size is short, meaning he's got 10 to 15 big blinds, he calls you, he or she calls you, there's a raise. Let's say you call, there's a good chance with that many chips in that pot and that player being somewhat short, he might go ahead and rip it. He or she might go ahead and rip it and move all in. If he thinks you know his middle pair is in a flip against an ace-king on the button, uh, he might try and squeeze it. Uh, if that was a situation, I would probably f- fold pre-flop then because I, I sure don't want to you know, uh, get into a three-way all-in uh, you know, for, for not as you know half my stack to that player but my whole stack to the to the button player it just i don't think it makes sense you know fairly early in the tournament like that um if he's got a big stack uh i would probably try and uh you know just call and and take a flop once again see if i can make a big hand and uh win a lot of chips um, you know, it, it's the same situation as before. You know, how heavily involved do you do you want to get with a hand like Ace Queen? Uh, next scenario: How would the the buttons chip stack uh, change uh, your thoughts? If he had a small stack, and I thought that he might be a little bit, he or she might be a little bit weak. I might re-raise all in right then and there to get heads up with that player, trying if I thought there was a good chance. The player who called me would fold, um, you know, and I, I just have to be, you know, what's my feel for this situation? Um, if that player has got a whole lot of chips, and and you know, once again, maybe he is, he or she is making that play with the suited ace jack or something. I would take the flop and uh, and go from there. Um, Especially if that player is, is uh, real aggressive, um, you know how, what, what what would change depending upon the on the the profile of the undergun plus two player. Uh, 
if I, if, I, if I felt that player was A, a maniac, I would probably fold pre-flop, not wanting to get into some giant pot pre-flop with ace-queen. And, you know, and this is a, a, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but if they are a, a pretty smart, sneaky player, and if there was a chance um, they're calling you, let's say, with aces or kings, praying to get re-raised so then they could really show their strength, um, you know, that's a bad situation there too. Uh, you know, if he's just a calling, if he or she is a calling station, uh, I'm certainly going to want to take a take a take a flop and and see if I can get paid. Um, you know, I I I like I said, I can't imagine four betting with ace queen. I'd rather see the flop. Um, if he or she in that position is just a a great player, an eagle. Um, you know, don't get involved out of position with ace queen. It's just in the long run. I got, I can't, it's a loser. Uh, what would something change to force, uh, my decision making on the personality of the button? Uh, kind of, kind of the same thing. You know, if, you know, if the, if the, if the under the gun plus two player is a bit of a mouse, um, the button's, you know, a weak player. I might just take a flop and just try and outplay him. Um, you know, it's just one of those things you just, you know, it's so situational. Um, once again, you know, taking a flop, playing conservatively, see what kind of a hand I could make. Um, and like I say, typically players... Three betting in that spot are doing it with with big hands, so there's a real good chance, um, you know, you're dominated from the get-go. As far as the last scenario, you know, this is, you know, what what factors could change my action. I think I'm going to answer just in general what I try to think about in any hand I'm going to play. You know, what am I thinking about? A, it's really important to consider what is your current... Um, you know, image at the table. Have you been playing super tight? Uh, have you been playing? Have you been showing good hands? Have you been real active? So you, there's a good chance you're going to get a lot of action. Um, that's certainly one thing I like to think about. You know, how, uh, how many hands I've been playing. Um, you, you know, if it's a real situation where you, you know not every player has the same amount of chips, how am I stacked against my opponents? What's my position? Obviously, I'm always going to want to play from position if I can. The other thing I think a lot of players, especially recreational players, don't think about is I always like to think a card ahead. Meaning, if I'm going to put in a raise or I'm going to call, how am I going to react if I'm called, if I'm raised, you know, if what sort of card is going to come on the next card, what am I going to do? Um, it's always good to, to try and think a card ahead because sometimes you'll, you'll end up realizing if you do that that there's just, you know, not a good reason uh, to be doing what you're doing. And I, and I think uh, many players are just simply playing the cards in front of them and not thinking, not thinking ahead, not thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, if I'm called... I always like to think about how does my opponent play? 
Um, once again, are they a mouse that you can push around? Are they a calling station that's never going to fold their hands no matter what you do? Uh, are they a maniac that's going to raise you no matter what? Uh, you know, but you're, you know, you can rarely ever believe they have it. Um, you know, are you playing against just a, uh, you know, a great pro that knows exactly what they're doing? Um, you know, you got, you got to think about all that stuff. And then you got to think about, you know, the most likely scenario is you're going to miss the flop. You're out of position against, you know, two other players. Um, you know, what are you going to do? And that, that kind of gets back to, you know, playing, playing a card ahead. Um, that's about all I have for this hand. Um, you know, in general, uh, you know, go conservative with it. Don't, you know, lose your whole stack, um, playing ace queen out of position like that. Um, you know, if you can make a flush, great. Trip queen's great. Um, slim chance you can outplay people, you know, go for it. But um, you really need to know your opponents for that. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Have a great day. Hey, Rec Poker Podcast listeners. This is Derek Smith, everyday underscore 81 on Twitter. Um, commenting on the ace-queen suited hand, under the gun, we open to one call and a three-bet by the button. The first question is, what's our typical course of action? And I'm actually going to skip ahead to the second through seventh questions first because I have quite a lot to cover on the first one, so we'll bang out the the uh, follow-up questions first. And in fact, there's so much going on with that first question that I was working through and trying to kind of come to a decision on that I wanted to pull in a friend, and I did. His name's Dave Shun, uh, chubby underscore darter on Twitter. And uh, he's a, a close friend and another very good rec poker player who thinks very similarly to the same way I do about hands. And we got together and did quite a bit of math and quite a lot of discussion on this one. So if we want to just quick bang out two through seven, um, holding all else equal, how would the stack size of under the gun plus two have to change for us to change your action? Well, if he was significantly shorter, I'd be pretty wary of him having a very big hand. I mean, they certainly could be trying to see a flop cheap with a small pair, a non-nut type uh, connecting hand, but I actually just feel like they'd probably be wanting to get that type of hand in right at that point. So it just makes me wary that they're looking for somebody else to to three bet so they can get in the rest. So uh, it does make me kind of wary of that. Uh, I just don't see why you'd flat um, with the intention of getting it in with that type of hand. So if they were significantly larger, I'd expect them to be more prone to raise from this position. And so I just expect they're trying to see a cheap flop. Uh, holding all else equal, how would the stack size of the button... Uh, have to change for us to change your action well if he has a huge stack i'd be more prone to three bet with my hand if he's down to 10 to 15 bigs i'd actually probably just fold because it sure seems to me like the money's going to be going in on the flop and as i will explain later i don't see a ton of scenarios where we're going to be ahead uh how would our stack size have to change um if we were shorter 10 to 15 bigs i'd just ship it all in right there uh, if somehow everybody folds, great. We more than double up, but the button really has to call, and I guess I'm just glad to see how it goes from there. If we had a really large stack compared to the button or the table, I'd lean more towards the three bet. Um, how would the player type of under the gun plus two have to change? Uh, I'll discuss that more in evaluating our base play. Uh, same thing for what the player type of the button 
would have to be like for us to change our action. Again, same as the previous one. And then the last one was what other factors would drive us to potentially change our action. And I answered again the same as previous episodes. If you know we're on a bubble, what type of game are we playing in? A cheap daily, a MSPT, ICM considerations, all that type of stuff. So going back to the first question, which is what is your typical course of action under the base assumption? And here again, we have ace-queen suited and we open under the gun plus two calls. And then the button three bets to 5,300. Well, I actually think this is a really tough decision at this point. My initial just instant gut reaction was I'd probably call um, and just see a flop. I've got a pretty decent hand. Uh, It's about a sixth of my stack to call. Although I'll be out of position, I probably have the type of hand that you know I'm going to hit big or, or or not and get out of it. So my initial initial thought was just to call and see. But after a lot of work and discussion with um, Dave Sean and working through a lot of math, I actually now think that calling is the worst possible decision of the three scenarios. And I now lean towards a fold or a three bet. And after rolling through everything, I think I'm about two-thirds of the time folding and about one-third of the time three-betting. And here's what's going on. There's four pieces of what I kind of have gone through to come up with that decision. The first is what is under the gun plus two up to? The second thing is related to my expected odds. The third was related to my relative position on the flop. And then fourth, what do we actually want to flop here? So if we look at those things, I think it's confusing that under the gun plus two just flatted. Now, we are working off the base assumption that everyone's a tight, aggressive player. And as mentioned earlier, the player type of under the gun plus two and or the button three better really, really drives our decision making, I think, here. Um, If both ourselves and under the gun plus two know that the button is a very savvy player, a very opportunistic player, potentially a loose player. I'd be wary that under the gun plus two is actually playing a really big hand here with the intention of seeing if somebody in the cutoff hijacker button and that type of player will three bet so that they can come back over the top. And it seems obvious at first that well, they probably just have, you know, something like twos through sixes or that non-nut type connecting hand where you just kind of want to see a cheap flop. And, and very likely they may have that. But I think if under the gun plus two is a really, really tricky player and creative and has kind of thought this through and recognizes the player types yet to act behind, it's a great spot if you had something like, let's say you have kings to just flat and let somebody else do your raising here because then related to the second part of what I was just discussing, the expected odds. Because what what then ends up happening is, in this exact scenario, the button three bets, 5,300, it comes back to me. If I'm running the pot odds here, it's maybe a call, it's maybe not a call, it all kind of depends how you feel about playing the hand. But the odds that are specifically there right now aren't what I expect them to be because if I call... I very much expect under a gun plus two to at least call. So I'm banking on that there's going to be an additional 3,800 in if I call the 3,800 at least. And under the gun plus two very well, if they are a tricky smart player, knows this too. And they know that I'll be thinking that. So what a great spot with something like Kings. And now there's in the air, in roughly the area of about, I think 19, maybe 
19, 20 grand, something like that, sitting in the in the pot. And if they if they're sitting on kings, they can just ship it for the remaining twenty five. And depending on what big blinds got, I know I'm folding ace queen at that point. If they do that, they've set up a great. Um, a, it's a, it would be a really good play. They've set up a, a nice a nice situation for themselves. So. To me, I'd be really wary of what under the gun plus two is up to and be really conscious of what type of player they are. If they are not very creative, not very savvy, uh, potentially newer to the game, not paying super close attention to positional advantages and things like that, then I would, again, lean towards they've probably just got a hand they want to see a cheap flop with. And if that's the case, I'm more apt to want a three bet. And in that scenario, that's going to be the one out of the three times where I'm in a three bet. And and that's going to be a part of it. Same thing with the big blind. If they're, a like I said, a very creative player or a very aggressive player or someone who would just recognize, hey, this is a good squeeze spot, then I might three bet. I think that's another scenario where I think it's a one out of you know one out of three times I'm going to want a three bet in that spot then, and pump it back up when it comes over to me. Especially if both those players are tend to be uh, a bit more straightforward, I think, um, and or really loose if if the button happens to be that way. So, but again, if the assuming that both these players are your typical tight aggressive players. I think that we're just kind of in a world of hurt here, getting our money in here, even though we have really good expected odds. And that's because of both the third and the fourth scenario that I described, which is our relative position on the flop, and then what do we want to flop? So speaking about our relative position, what typically is going to happen is if we call the 5,300, 3,800 more, and under the gun plus two also just flats, typically on the flop, it's going to go check, check, bet by the button. And now we have to act, and we're in the worst position because the undergun plus two player is the gets to close the action. So they get to see what we do before they have to make any sort of decision. So we have the worst relative position, and we're just out of position. At this point in time, the button, we've we have nothing to define what their hand is. We have some thoughts about what under the gun plus two has, but we can't be certain. No definition of what the button is three betting with and i don't know that's it's not a scenario i like to be in for you know i assume what's near to a pot bet there's going to be about half of at least half of what we have left in our stack so i don't like our relative position and then i come back to what do we actually want to flop here and this is where it gets tricky because again if we feel like under the gun plus two is just playing a a I want to see a flop type of hand. There's a ton of flops that hit that. If there's a two, a three, a four, a five, a six, a seven on the flop, they may have flopped a set. If there's any sort of connecting hands like nine, eight, ten, jack, king, queen, queen, jack, just any of those type of connecting hands, they could have flopped two pair, open end a straight draw, um, or trips, I suppose, too, but other things. Um, big, big things. There's a lot of big draws out there. And same thing for the the button. It's just because they raised from the button doesn't mean they can't have a hand. And so in a scenario where they potentially have something like jacks, queens, kings, we're in a world of hurt. So against kings, we're a 32 to 68 dog. If they have aces, we only have a 12% chance of winning. But even against queens, it's 34 to 65. They could have jacks, and they're still about 45, 55. And I mean, that button could easily three bet with something like a pair of eights or a pair of nines, and they still have us at about a 47 to 53 uh, percent deficit to, to catch up and win. So 
what are we trying to actually flop on this flop? If we flop a queen high flop, I mean, we can feel pretty good about it, but can, we can't feel great. We could certainly be up against kings. Aces seem a little less likely since we have an ace, but we certainly could be up against against two players, a set, a bigger pair. Do you feel amazing about a queen high flop? I, I, I don't. If it's queen eight, seven, I don't feel great about it. If we flop an ace, we could easily be up against ace king. And that's, that's a tough scenario too, because now how are we not going to pay off? Of course, we'd like to flop a flush. We've got the nut flush, you know, opportunity, but that's 118 to 1. We'd like to flop a straight, but that's 76 to 1 to happen. So the best case scenario that I can think of that we're looking to flop here is a four flush. And that's still just a drawing hand. Assuming that we believe there's a 36% chance we actually get to the flush, first you have to think of the math that it, that's involved with getting a four flush in the first place. It only happens roughly about 12% of the time. So one in eight times we'll flop, flop that four flush, but seven out of eight times we won't. And now we'll have put in, you know, near to 20% of our stack and we're kind of in no man's land. And even if we do flop the four flush, I don't believe that we have a full nine outs. This is a 10 handed table. So if you think uh, we've got three players in, there's six cards out there. I mean, seven people fold us, there's 14 cards dead. There's three cards by the time the, the hand's completely over that are going to be burned. So we're looking at roughly 18, 20, 21 plus cards that we're not going to see. So if every fourth card is our suit, we're potentially losing four or five of our outs on average. So we're really drawing with two streets to go to potentially three, four, five outs to the nut flush. And assuming that either under the gun and or the button actually do have a quality strong hand that the chips are going to be getting in there anyway so for all these reasons i lean more towards a fold but i do see a lot of merits towards why we would three bet again based on the player type um, and what we think under the gun plus two is up to and again potentially how loose aggressive or creative the three better pre-flop is so again thanks to Dave Shun, for his help in going through a lot of this math and chatting this out. Again, I was very surprised because I would have immediately kind of thought a call would make sense here. And now I see that I dislike a call quite a bit. And again, lean more towards a fold, probably about two-thirds of the time, and a three-butt, maybe about a third of the time. This has been Derek Smith for Rec Poker. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys, so much. Let's take a quick break here to thank our official sponsor, Running Aces, and then we'll come back with thoughts from our experts. And a reminder, this week we have input from Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com, Mike Schneider of the Poker is Fun Tour, and Chris Fox-Wallace of Next Level Poker, our official tour for Rec Poker. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. People are like, are you little? Because your name says you're little. I say, no, I'm not little. Hello, this is Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com. Today we have one more situation similar to the previous two weeks. Make sure you go back and listen to those if you have not already. Um, this time we're playing at a 10-handed table early in a tournament, 300-600 blinds with 100 ante with a 50 big blind stack. 
30,000 ships. Every player, again, is standard, tight, aggressive. We are under the gun with ace-queen suited and raised to 2.5 big blinds. Under the gun, plus two calls. So we get called by under the gun, plus two. And then folds around to the button who three bets to 5,300. All right, what's our typical course of action in this spot? Well, the first thing you want to figure out is how wide is the button three betting? If the button knows that your under the gun range should be pretty strong, like, I don't know, pocket sevens are better and maybe ace ten suited and better and maybe king queen suited, maybe king jack suited, maybe queen jack suited, maybe jack ten suited, and then it's like ace king and ace queen. I mean, if that's your early position range, then this guy has to be really tight. So ace-queen suit is going to be somewhat near the middle of that range. And I don't actually just hate folding if you are actually playing tight under the gun, 10-handed like you should. Um, if your opponent thinks that, you know, he's supposed to three-bet stuff like ace-jack suited or, you know, pocket eights in the spot, then you should definitely stick around, probably by calling. You don't really want to be four-betting this hand because if you four-bet and get jammed on, well, that's a pretty rough spot. And also, if you four-bet to, let's say, 10,000 to men four-bet, even if your opponent shoves, now you're getting two-to-one pot odds and you're really close to that. You could also just go all in over the 5,300 for your 30,000 stack, but that is risking a bit much, much. And whenever you do get called by presumably your opponent's somewhat strong range, you're going to be in bad shape. So either call or fold. I think either play is reasonable. Um, if, I, if you tell me I'm opening under the gun 10-handed, and the button three bets me, and the button's a t standard, tight, aggressive player, I'm just folding every time. All right, how would changing basically any of the player's stack size change our play? And um, this is a situation where if we're shorter and our opponent three bets in this spot, like let's say he does make it 5,300 and we only have 15,000. I mean, he has to have a really big hand. So... The main factor here that is dictating my play is the fact that I know that my under-the-gun range, 10-handed, should be really nitty. And if that's the case, and someone who is also a standard, tight, aggressive player is three-betting from the button, they just have to have a strong hand if they're competent. And I'm making the assumption that they're competent. So I think this is just going to be a fold a lot of the time. Um, as you get shorter, maybe you should be more inclined to shove. Like, say we do have that 15,000 stack and we do decide to stick around. Maybe we should be shoving as opposed to calling with that stack. The player in the middle, I don't think is that big of a deal. Usually, well, it actually depends on the opponent's strategy, right? If you've read my books, you know I do not advocate three-betting under-the-gun raisers at all. So if your opponent, under-the-gun plus two, who called, is calling with hands like aces and kings, well, now you have to proceed with way more caution as opposed to someone who three-bets their aces, kings, queens, jacks, and ace-king, right? Because if they're three-betting their best hands, it means their calling range is going to be stuff that ace-queen does well against. So we're not so concerned about that player in that spot. But if the opponent has the nut hands in his range, then you should be even more inclined to fold. So, okay. Um, how does changing the opponent's player types dictate our strategy? Well, we just discussed under the gun plus two. If that player is calling with their nut hands, you need to be very cautious and much more inclined to fold. If the button it becomes a more aggressive player or just doesn't realize that your under the gun range should be very tight, you should certainly consider shoving in the case where also the caller is somewhat capped at having non-aces-kings, queens, jacks, ace-king. If um, the, the three-better is very tight, you should definitely fold. So don't don't be too married to this hand. It's not, not particularly great. Um, what other factors would change our course of action? I mean, as we get shorter, I guess we should be more inclined to go with this hand. Like, say we have 10,000 chips, but even then, I don't think folding's insane. I mean, 
you just have to be very aware of what your range looks like and how your opponent's playing. And my one gripe with these questions is that every player is a standard tight aggressive player. And that is very rarely the case. Um, also, the tournament is 10-handed. A lot of tournaments nowadays don't play 10-handed. I'm trying to think. I don't even remember the last time I played 10-handed. But I do realize a lot of um, like main events where tournament venues are tight on space, they do play 10-handed, sometimes 11-handed. <laughs> and in those cases, you have to realize, under the gun, you really should be playing really, really, really tight. If you play around with Game Theory Optimal poker solvers, they will say to fold hands like pocket 10s under the gun 10-handed when you're playing like 100 big blinds deep with no antis. Obviously, this is a little bit different because we're 50 big blinds deep with an ante. So you should be a little bit more active, but it's okay to play really snug. I don't know what the exact range the, the Game Theory Optimal programs would say in this spot, but I would bet it's something like pocket nines are better, ace-king suited, ace-queen suited, maybe ace-jack suited, and ace-king. <laughs> something like that, like really, really tight, right? And if that's the case, ace-queen suited is very near the bottom of your range anyway, so it's perfectly fine to fold that. But most people don't play that way. They play way too loose because they see hands like Jack-10 suited and think they need to open it every single time regardless of the scenario. So anyway, that's enough rambling about this one. Um, just fold and sidestep this tough situation unless the player on the button is very active, in which case you should probably go all in unless you think the caller is trappy or just very good. He's won a million dollars! Hi, this is Mike Schneider of the Poker is Fun Tour. Now, this is a pretty tricky question here, just being that uh, all players involved are around 50 big blinds deep. I guess uh, under the uh, base assumptions here, like assuming we don't really have that great of reads on the cold collar or the re-raiser, my uh, typical response here would be to probably just call the re-raise. I mean, if we made a 1500 the button made a 5300 it's 3800 more yeah that kind of kind of sucks when we start the hand with 30000 but i think uh, ace queen suited is too strong of a hand to fold but on the converse if we had ace queen offsuit i would strongly consider folding here i mean uh i think we're i mean just with everybody at 50 big blinds deep it's uh not quite the optimal stack sizes for us to consider re-raising, and I I would consider folding a little bit more too if the original cold collar, like let's say they started the hand with like ten or fifteen thousand, because there's a solid chance if uh, if we end up calling, or even if they have like twenty thousand, even like if we end up calling, they could end up just re-raising all in. Like if they have like pocket eights or something, they decide screw this. Maybe my re-raise is gonna get, it's going to get us to fold. I could see uh, a stack size of that variety just saying, all right, I'm just gonna go with this. I hope somebody folds, and if not, oh well. But yeah, I uh, would definitely. I mean, if if uh, let's say if us and the button who uh, re-raised us happen to uh, both have a few more chips in play, then it becomes either a much easier call, or you can, if you think that they are capable of having a little bit, a little bit wider of a three betting range, you could definitely throw out a four bet here. Which, if you would like, if let's say we had fifty thousand, or even if they only had thirty thousand, we have like fifty thousand. You could try making it 12,000 or 14,000 or something, knowing that if they re raise all in, you can fold, which, I mean, like the advantage of 
re-raising or making a four bet is that with having an ace and a queen, you're you're blocking uh, pocket aces and pocket queens quite a bit. And granted, if they have ace king, you're blocking a couple of those too by having the ace. But yeah, it's just a really really dicey spot with the stack sizes overall. And, uh, and then this is another spot too where if if we had uh, like fifteen or twenty thousand chips instead, I would strongly consider just going all in here. Even though I, I will say, amongst all of this, the caveat to what I'm talking about, the fact that we are an under the gun raiser, I think you have to give the the buttons to re-raise a little bit more credit than had we opened in a mid position and they three bet us. Like in general, most people. Most people are aware that the typical player is opening fewer hands under the gun than a middle position, so that would make it more likely that this button is 3-betting us with a legit hand. But even still, some of those legit hands can be pocket 9s, pocket 10s, pocket jacks, etc. like that. And if they end up shoving on us, and, or calling the all-in i should say if we had less chips then it's perfectly fine we're more than likely to be uh, flipping a coin against them and then uh one last little point too like if say the button had 15 or 18,000 or something like that i would again uh, much stronger consider re-raising here pre-flop just simply on the basis of little more happy to get it in against them while well, knowing that our uh, re-raise pre-flop will get our the original cold collar to fold and we're you know, just eating up a little extra dead money there and yeah i guess i can't really think of what else to say that might change what we would would do on this other than it's still just a really tricky spot, especially with ace-queen ace, ace, suited. It, I mean, it's a really well-worded question, and if it was ace-queen off-suit, it definitely changes a lot of the variables more towards folding, where like ace-queen suited is just barely a strong enough hand, although we still do have to be careful with it. And, and I'd say also then, yeah, if you don't know anything about the opponents and you like your table draw and think that you'll be able to get into some better spots against them, I wouldn't really hate folding this hand either. Like, it definitely is one where you just hate calling and flopping an ace and closing your eyes and having to check call a street or two, not really liking it, not hating it. But, yeah, I, I guess so with that, until next time, uh, this is Mike Schneider of the Poker is Fun Tour. I would love it if you followed us on Twitter at P-I-F-T Poker. Or uh, check out our website at piftpoker.com. And yeah, I, I'm happy to say that hopefully pretty soon now we should have an announcement about our, our next tournament stops. I've been in discussion with uh, the casino or two about that. So things are coming together for us to have some events in 2018. And also if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's at schneidspoker, S-C-H-N-E-I-D-S-P-O-K-E-R. Until next time, thanks and have a good day. Fox here from Next Level Poker. Another fun 50 big blinds question this week. So, when we raise under the gun with Ace Queen, we're barely making a profit anyway. Uh, we know this from online poker statistics um, millions and millions of hands 
in databases, lots of players have done the same thing that I did when I first started and got Poker Tracker in compiling hands and looking at which hands are profitable. Ace Queen suited is profitable under the gun for most players in most situations, but not for everyone, not in every situation, and for t- for even for strong players in a very tough situation, you could throw it away. It is way overrated, but it is in the list of hands that I recommend in my book. It, it's in fact the bottom. I say Ace King offsuit and Ace Queen suited, meaning full ace-queen offsuit in uh, standard cash games. So ace-queen suited is playable, but when we raise it, we have to remember it's not super valuable. Um, when when under the gun plus two calls, uh, he's likely to have some sort of medium strength hand, and everybody knows it. So when the button raises, he's not stealing from two of us. He's just stealing from, from us. Um, the under the gun plus two player is not a big threat to the button. And the button has position. If the under the gun plus two calls, it's not a big problem because we know what his range is. His range is beheaded. He does, and it's it's all neck to knees. It's a middle uh, middle strong hand range, and he never has a monster and he never has garbage. In if he is in fact a standard tight aggressive player, uh, so we know he has a hand like a pair of sixes or king queen suited or something. Um. And the button raises, the button's not afraid of UTG plus two, he's afraid of us. And in this case, he's saying he's really not afraid of us. Um, Given that we're going to be out of position, the raise is a pretty reasonable size. You know, if this was a raise to 4,000, I might have to call it. See if you flop two pair or a flush or flush draw or something. Um... You know, it's it's not such a bad thing to flush to flop a flush draw. I want to say it's queen suited because then you've got a flush draw and two big overcards. Um, so I probably fold here, but if the raise is smaller, I'd be tempted to call it and see how it looks. Um, I really don't want to play queen out of position against the button who's made a big raise and put you know a sixth of my stack in with ace queen and out of position. That's not a winner for me. Um, the stack size of the under the gun plus two collar wouldn't wouldn't change anything, um, unless he was below like five big blinds. It, it wouldn't change anything. And if he's below five big blinds, then I might call this so that he can you know get it in and we can see a flop and see how that goes. But it's not a super profitable spot when he's short short stacked. Um, the stack size of the button re-raiser would only make a big difference if he has say less than ten big blinds. If he's and if he has less than ten big blinds, I assume that he's a tag who's trying to be tricky with a pair of kings or a pair of aces, um, trying to get a full double up rather than shipping. It's a mistake, but that's that's almost always what it's going to be. If he has more than ten big blinds, it doesn't matter that much to me. But if he has less than ten big blinds, then I, I'd probably almost make an easier fold just because he's usually got a monster here. Um, so in our stack size, for our stack size to change the action, I would have to have less than um, probably like 13, 14 big blinds, um, maybe 15. If I had 13 big blinds here, I might get it in and take that extra equity from UTG plus two, putting the, putting the call in there and then the blinds and just hope that I'm in a race against his range. Um, if my stack is any lower than like 10 big blinds i'm not i'm not raising under the gun i'm shipping it all in so uh there are not very many stack sizes where my stack would change the action 
player type for under the gun plus two is is not going to change my action very often but player type for the button might um if the button is a maniac i'm i may call him and see how the flop looks if he's but but even then you're putting yourself in kind of a bad spot I mean, are you going to get it all in if you flop a pair? How often have you been busted by a maniac who actually had a hand when you flopped a pair? Um, if he's weak tight, then I'm more likely to fold. He's, he's, his range dominates mine, um, my hand. The only way that I'm really excited about playing against him is if he's a very bad player who's very predictable and readable. Those are all the, the you know, the, the, and that's kind of a standard answer to every question. I, I love playing poker with people who are standard, readable, weak players who aren't educated about the game. And if he's that, then yeah, I love playing with him. If he's not, then I'm folding pretty much all the time. Okay, so that's it for today. I think it was a great discussion, a longer episode, a lot of great input from a lot of really good players. So uh, good luck trying to process all that and figure it out. And once again, uh, make sure that you are looking for the the concepts and the constructs behind the scenes, not just what should I do with ace-queen suited under the gun facing a three-bet, but what are those principles that you want to ascribe and you want to incorporate into your game. So uh, so think about it from that perspective. Uh, as we look forward to the weeks ahead, we've got a couple of hand scenarios submitted by Doug Behrens from his experience in the Running Aces Avalanche Tournament and also an interesting hand from Taylor Moss. And we're also going to spend an episode in the future uh, talking about just sort of terminology in poker. Uh, as I've listened to a lot of the input, as I've talked to people at the table, there's a lot of confusion on some of the actual terminology of poker. So we might just spend an episode uh, talking about some of the terms and, and make sure that we're all using those consistently. But that's what's coming up. Uh, again, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a comment, tell your friends, uh, give feedback, topic suggestions, hand situations to me on Facebook, Twitter, or email stevefredland at gmail.com. Just a reminder, there is a Rec Poker uh, Facebook group as well as a Twitter at Rec Poker. Uh, so until next week, thank you all. Take care.